Awesome. What a great time of worship. Thank you, choir. If you would, go ahead and turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians towards the uh, back of your New Testament. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 is where we're going to be today. While you're turning there, I do want to give a little bit of a heads up about a new series we're going to start next Sunday. Summer's here. Next Sunday starts June. So uh, I like to do series through the summer that it really doesn't be, you know, one, one message build on the other necessarily. Uh, since some folks are a little bit scattered, travel is a little more intensive through the summer. But we're going to start a series next Sunday called Road Trip. And uh, all of us can re- relate to road trips, whether it was back in a kid and you loaded up the family truckster and you went off on the road or whether it's as adults and you've got your family or just traveling with friends, road trip. There's a lot of similarities between that and our journey with Christ that we're on as well. So we're going to look at that starting next Sunday. But today we're going to finish out this series we started a few weeks ago called 316. And the whole premise of it has been just simply pulling out different chapter 3, verse 16s in the Bible. There's nothing mystical about it. It's just, But there are some really interesting chapter 3, verse 16s that are found in Scripture. Now, uh, one of those, the most popular, obviously, is John 3.16, talks about salvation. But we've looked at what uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 says about God's Word specifically. We'll look at Proverbs 3.16 about wisdom. And uh, today we're going to wrap it up. We're going to finish it out in 2 Thessalonians, looking at a passage that Paul writes, so the, really the very in just about of this letter to the believers in Thessalonica, looking at a very specific topic as well. So let's go ahead and jump in there. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, we're going to cut right to the chase, and uh, let's go ahead and read this verse, then we'll begin talking about the topic that Paul rolls onto the table here. Second Thessalonians 3 verse 16. So Paul writes and he says, now may the Lord of, uh, may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance, the Lord be with you all. Now may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance, and the Lord be with you all. So Paul mentions this quality, this topic of peace. And when you think about it, right, when you look at the different people that you know, when you look at our world in general, there may not be a a, a specific experience in life that is being more pursued than this topic, this concept of peace. Because when you think about it, I mean, all of the world in a lot of ways is aiming for peace in their own different ways. There are nations that are trying to overtake other nations, ironically, (laughs) because they want more land and they want more stuff that they hope will give them peace. You've got people in your neighborhood, people in your community, people in your family, people in your workplace that are on a quest for peace. And yet still, it seems like in these days in which we live, that peace has been one of the most elusive commodities that anybody could ever go searching for. Depression since 2015 is up almost 10% in less than 10 years. When you look at anxiety, of course, when we all came through COVID, we all know, we all heard the news reports, anxiety was through the roof. But, but then do you kind of think that, well, once things settle down, COVID goes away and everything begins to return more towards normal, well, maybe those anxiety levels will go away. That's not necessarily the case. Right, there's more depression, there's more discouragement, there's more anxiety today probably than any other point in history necessarily. There's strife, it seems like if you've got two groups, more than likely there's going to be strife. There's going to be animosity between those two groups. Whether those two groups are political in nature, whether those two groups are two different nations, whether those two groups are racial in nature, it seems like there's just strife that crosses lines from one race to the other, from one political party to the other, from one family to the other. There's so, la- so 
much of a lack of peace. And then you begin to look in our own lives, right, for people in general, both outside the church and inside the church as well. There's also this just a sense of just a lack of peace, this missing component to life to where it seems like people have been so dissatisfied, right, with their jobs, with their career path, dissatisfied with um, their family structure, can't get along with certain family members. Even in our world, this is just hard to even fathom that they're, they're unprecedented numbers. And you see this in the, in the news with, with how the culture is changing of people that, that are so dissatisfied even with the gender, right, that they were born with. And there's just this lack of peace. Outside the church, inside the church, there's this, this missing component, it seems. And what we find is all through Scripture that the Bible speaks, both Old Testament and New Testament as well, has a lot to say about this topic of peace. And maybe even before we go further, you can take a second right now just in your own heart and say, you know, where am I as it relates to peace? If I were to rate my life from 1 to 10, 10 being the highest, 10 being the lowest, where would I rate myself right now in regards to the level of peace that I, that I sense in my life? Peace meaning that sense of contentment, that, that sense of well-being, that sense that, you know what, there's this overarching rightness in my life right now. How would you rate yourself, 1 to 10? I mean, where would you put yourself? And has there been a point in your life that you can look back to and say, you know what, there was a moment in my life a month ago, a year ago, five years ago, 10, regardless, that there was a place in my life where I had more peace than I do today. And, and maybe even ask yourself, why is that? And how can I recapture that place where I used to be and what was different about back then as it relates to right now? When you look at Scripture, there, there are generally like three different kinds of peace that the Bible talks about. Now, now, Paul, in the, group, in the, the letter to the, the group in Thessalonica, to the church there, you know, he's talking about peace somewhat in general. But there are kind of three different um, uh, pictures of peace we see in the Bible and in life. Now, number one, there's this peace between us and God. What we'll call that vertical peace. It's the peace that comes when we give our lives to Christ. And, and many of you know, some of you maybe you've never heard this, but there's a, there's a picture the Bible paints that when we have never come to a place where our sins have been forgiven, where we've invited Jesus, who, who is God and who came and lived a sinless, perfect life, and he died on the cross and he rose again from the dead. If we've never invited him to come and forgive us, right, to make us right with God and to take over our lives, then, then the Bible describes us as being at enmity with God. There, there's a broken brokenness between us and God vertically until our sin is forgiven, right? That's the biggest problem of our lives. And so one type of peace the Bible speaks of is this vertical peace between us and God. And when you gave your life to Christ, whether you were a little kid, right, in a, in a Sunday school class or vacation Bible school or grandma told you about the gospel, you know, for me, I was younger when I gave my life to Christ, or if you were older, Maybe you had a friend who shared the gospel with you. Maybe you hit rock bottom and you heard the gospel that God even meets you right there and he'll bring you out of that pit and he'll put you in a new place and, and he'll save you and rescue you and wipe the slate clean. Regardless of what your age was, when you prayed and gave your life to Jesus and trusted Christ for salvation, that brokenness was taken away and you were given direct access to God and you became part of his family. Right? That, that's the peace that we think of that's that personal, uh, vertical, spiritual kind of peace. Well, there's a second type of peace the Bible speaks of, and it, it's, the, it, it's the peace that comes on the, on the inside whenever we face difficult circumstances. A, a peace that is not circumstantially driven, right? It's a peace that regardless of if the finances bottom out or the job goes south or we lose our career or there's struggle in our family or we get a health diagnosis we weren't hoping for or expecting, right? That regardless of the circumstances, the second kind of peace is a peace on the inside that keeps us steady and, and, and it keeps us kind of rock solid. It helps us to be in a place where we still have joy and where we're not shaken. 
And we've all known what it's like as believers to have that peace threatened. We're, we're going to read people here in the Bible, Second Thessalonians, who had that kind of peace that was threatened. We've all been there, right? But there's the peace that only God can give on the inside that the Bible speaks of. And then a third kind of peace is that horizontal peace between us and other people. Right? It's the peace between husband and wife, the peace between parent and kid, right? the peace between family members, extended family members, even that uncle that you hope doesn't come to Thanksgiving this next October or November. Right? It's the kind of peace with everybody around you, with the coworkers, with, with the people who work two office doors down that, that you don't always get along with real, real easily, even sometimes people in church. It's that horizontal peace between us and other people. The Bible talks about all three of those kinds of peace. Peace between us and God, peace between us and others, peace on the inside. And what Paul does here is that he writes this letter to a group of Christians in the city of Thessalonica. And as he writes this, this letter to them, he's speaking three verses from the very end. It's three chapters long, three first verses from the end. He, he speaks about this topic of peace. Now, let me give you a little bit of background specifically. That when Paul writes Second Thessalonians, both of those letters, first and second, were written obviously to the church in the city of Thessalonica, a church that Paul had somewhat of a history with. Now in Second Thessalonians, the whole the whole premise of the letter was that the believers who were there they had this mistaken understanding that Jesus had already returned for the second time. All right, and they had this, uh, whether it was really bad teaching or maybe it was just, just they, they didn't connect the dots well enough or what have you, but they, they had this fear that Jesus had returned, the second coming had occurred, and that they had missed it. Chapter 2 talks about that a little bit. Paul helps to speak into that, and he sets, sets it straight just a bit, and, and he reminds them, you know, there are going to be some things that we can look for to happen first. You haven't missed it. The second coming hasn't occurred yet. But that was part of what was going on behind the scenes. They were these people who were in fear. They had a lack of peace because of their circumstances, their wrong belief. Then also in 2 Thessalonians, on top of that, and this probably only intensified it, they were also being persecuted for their faith. And so Paul also addresses that in the letter, and he speaks peace to them. He helps them to see you know, how they can move through this time of persecution, some things to keep in mind. So you can imagine if you're going through intense persecution because of your faith, which we don't typically know in this country, right? But if you're living in an environment where you're being hammered day in and day out, and you've lost a lot because of your of your faith in Jesus, well, you're probably going to feel a little weak and you may fall for a lie, right? And that's kind of where these folks were. And Paul writes this letter, 2 Thessalonians, to help speak into those. And just three verses from the end, he says, may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. Now, it's interesting because when you look at that, when you see how Paul uses that phrase, the Lord of peace, there's a history to it. This is important because here's what I want us to talk about for a second. Let's talk about that, that, that vertical piece between us and God. Because when you look in Scripture all the way back to the Old Testament, for example, all the way back in the book of Judges, if you want to turn back to Judges 6, you can. If you want to read it on the screen behind me, you can. But when you go all the way back in the Old Testament, you begin to see this theme of God being the God of peace or being the Lord of peace. So back in Judges 6, here's what's happening. There's this fellow named Gideon, many of you are familiar with. Gideon, he goes through this uh, kind of this sequence where God calls him and uh, to a specific task. Gideon, he needs a little bit more evidence, and he asks God for some evidence. And, uh, and eventually, by the end of the story, God uses Gideon in dramatic fashion. 
But here at this part in Judges chapter 6, Gideon, uh, he has an encounter with God. He has an encounter with the Lord. And this is what it says in verse 24 in Judges 6. It says, then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord, and he named it, the Lord is peace, right? So he builds this altar to God. He doesn't worship the altar. This isn't an idol. But to commemorate his experience with God here, he names the altar, the Lord is peace. And to this day, says that it's still an Ophrah of the Abiezrites. That's to the day when, this, when, when the book of Judges would have been written. And he uses this phrase, right, the Lord is peace. If you read in the King James Version, it's going to use a different phrase. It's not going to say that he named the altar the Lord of peace. It's going to say that he named it Jehovah Shalom, right? And, and, and Shalom being the Hebrew word for peace. But we see all the way back in Judges the, this, this picture of God being the only God of peace. Well, you move a little bit further and you get to the New Testament. And we find that in the New Testament, Paul is going to write certainly more letters than just First and Second Thessalonians to, to the believers in the city of Rome. In Rome's, Romans chapter 15, the very last verse of that chapter, look at what he says. He says to the Roman Christians, Now the God of peace be with you all. There's that phrase again. Paul would also write to the Corinthian believers in the city of Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, he's talking about spiritual gifts. That's the context. But here's what he says. He says, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. There's this picture again that God is a God of peace. In fact, Christmas time, right? We all remember what Isaiah wrote. Isaiah the prophet, 750 years before Jesus would be born. Isaiah is writing in chapter 9, verse 6. What does he say? Speaking of Jesus, 750 years later would be born. This is a prophet. Uh, this is a prophecy. He says, for a child will be born to us, speaking of the Messiah, of Jesus, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. All through the Bible, we see this picture of peace, and we see it linked to who God is. And here's the thing. What are we talking about right this second? We're talking about how we only have vertical peace, spiritual peace, between us and God through a relationship with Jesus. Now, here's the thing. If God is described, Old Testament and New, as the God of peace, and if Jesus is described as the Prince of Peace, and if we see in Galatians, we didn't even go there, but the Holy Spirit, we, what we find is that, that peace is a fruit of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is who gives peace. Listen, if that's the way peace operates, how on earth can we expect to have peace in our lives without a relationship with God through Jesus? It's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. And yet here's what we see, maybe even reflected in this room, but what we often see many times in the world is that there are people who are on a peace quest, right? And they're not going through a relationship with Christ. <clears throat> they're going through other channels. They're thinking, you know what? If I can just meet that right person, if I can meet that right guy, if I can meet that right woman, if I can just get, get that relationship going, you know what? I'm finally going to have peace. And a few relationships down the line, they find that peace comes for a season, but it doesn't last. Or they think, if I can just get this new career going, or if I can just make a little more money, or if I can just get that new house, or if I can just find me a new job, a lot of times it's something new, right? Or, or they find if it's something that I can drink, or something that I can take, or something that I can smoke, right? That, that's going to give me peace. It's going to mask my pain and kind of cover the pain, maybe even hopefully take it away. But what happens is when all that wears off, right, and the weekend's over, and the new wears away, that peace is gone. Because we can't have peace. That one type of peace the Bible speaks of between us and God is only going to come through that relationship 
with Jesus. All the other types of peace are superficial. So here's a principle as we kind of tie up this, this, this part of what peace is through Christ. The principle is this, that the biggest reason for the absence of peace in life in general is because of the absence of salvation. It's the absence of a relationship with God that only comes through Jesus. And so when you're listening to this, if you're at a place where you didn't, you, you couldn't say that you're at a place of, of, of great peace in your life. You didn't check a nine or a 10, right? When I asked that question, one to 10, how would you rate yourself? You were a little further down than where you want to be. The first question to ask yourself, I think, is, well, have I met the one alone who gives peace? Have I given my life to Christ to begin with? Well, there's a second kind of a peace as we begin, again, to look through Scripture we begin to see a second kind of a peace. And that peace is a peace that comes through our, in the midst of our circumstances. In fact, let me go ahead and just give you this principle as well, right? A peace in the midst of our circumstances. This principle is that for the, for the believer, for the Christian, for the one who's given our lives to Christ, Christ, peace in our circumstances comes as we trust Jesus and as we follow him. Here, here's what we've all experienced. I gave my life to Christ when I was a little kid, eight, nine, ten years old. <clears throat> Many of you have given your life to Jesus, probably the bulk of the people in here, not everybody, but probably most everybody in this room has given your life to Christ. And yet we all know that there are circumstances in our lives that we go through, challenges that come where circumstances drive the fact that we experience more confusion or turmoil than we do peace in our lives, even though we have a relationship with Christ. Right Again, maybe it's something that changes, maybe it's something that caught us off guard, but some circumstance that ends up robbing us of our peace. How do we respond in times like that? I remember seeing a bumper sticker years ago. You don't really see these anymore. Probably most of you have seen this. This little bumper sticker, maybe you even had it on your card. It said, no Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, K-N-O-W Jesus, no peace. And that is completely true. Everything I just said for the last 10 minutes is completely true. We have peace through Jesus, but there are still times, right? That peace between us and God never changes, but there are times when that experience of peace sometimes ebbs and flows, and we feel like our, our, our relationship with God is strong, our fellowship, our fellowship is strong, and then other times maybe we drift a bit or the circumstances get hard. For the Thessalonians, it was persecution, it was confusion, right? And, and they felt like that peace had left them, Right? We've all been through seasons like that. Well, here's the thing. Scripture, Jesus himself, has a lot to say about when we experience that specifically. Look in John chapter 14, for example. John chapter 14. We'll just walk through a few, a few passages of Scripture here. John 14, Jesus has, in this context here, Jesus has already been crucified. He's already been buried. He's already, uh, or, or rather, no, not in this context, forgive me. He is preparing his disciples for this time to come, for his crucifixion, his burial, then his resurrection. Right? He's preparing them. He's giving them instruction. He says in the first part of John 14, he says that I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. But look at what he says here in John 14, verse 27. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Here's the interesting thing Jesus seems to say about this, 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 this peace. He reminds us yet again that he's the one who gives it, that it's his peace. But then he makes this comment. He says, not as the world gives. 
So if, if you're really intuitive and you believe every word is there for a reason in the Bible, you may ask yourself, so, so what exactly is Jesus speaking about? When he says, not as the world gives, are you telling me that the world gives a peace? Because, Brooks, you just, you just spent all this time telling me that peace only comes through Jesus. And that's exactly right. So what is Jesus speaking of here? I believe what he's talking about is the kind of so-called peace, let's put that in air quotes, right? So-called peace that the world does provide through some of the things I listed, better job, more money, more people, more popularity, whatever we happen to take or drink or whatever. But that kind of peace doesn't last. It's like this table I almost always use this as an example when I talk about this. This table, if you could see it, this is not solid wood. This is press board with a, just a thin veneer, just a thin covering up here. If you were to expose this table to the elements, right, to the intense elements, to high heat or to excessive moisture, if you were to put this table, if you were to put it in an environment where, where, where it just is stretched to its limit, what's going to happen is this little veneer, first thing that's going to happen, is going to begin to peel off and disappear. It's just going to be gone. It's going to fall away. That's the kind of peace the world offers. It's a peace that will cover you through the weekend, and then Monday comes. It's a peace that will cover you through the new, and then the new becomes old. But the peace that Jesus offers, not only between us and God, but that peace on the inside is a peace not easily shaken by the circumstances that we experience. Yes, it can be affected, but it's not easily shaken. And so how do we ultimately experience the kind of peace in the midst of our circumstances that help us to be able to have joy and to have hope even when our circumstances change? How do we have that kind of peace whenever, whenever we're surrounded by enemies? How do we have that kind of peace whenever our faith is a little wobbly? How do we have that peace whenever we have uh, uh, one of our kids, right, who, who's being rebellious or, 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 or uh, difficulty in marriage? How do we still have that kind of peace? It comes when we trust him and when we follow his way. That's how we experience that peace on the inside. Take a look at this principle, the second principle. This is where it covers this. For the Christian, like we said a while ago, peace in the midst of our circumstances comes as we trust and follow Jesus. We're right with God in relationship, but what God wants is for us to stay tight and close and strong in our fellowship with him, that we continually trust him. Look at what it says, Isaiah chapter 26. This is, this is a really interesting couple of verses in Isaiah chapter 26. Look at what it says in verse 3. And verse 4, speaking about trusting God, Isaiah writes, and he says, The steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace. Here's the next part. Because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for in God the Lord we have an everlasting rock. And, and so what you see here is, let's just let's, let's walk through this passage. Isaiah is talking about peace. He says that God will keep you in peace. Why is it that he can keep us in perfect peace? Because he's the, he's the owner of it. He is the God of peace. The reason he can do that is because he owns peace. And it says he'll keep us in perfect peace as we trust in him. You look at this picture of Peter, right, when he's on the sea and, and, and the sea is out of control and Jesus comes to him walking on the surface of the water and, and Jesus beckons him. Paul, uh, or Peter wants to go out to Jesus on the surface of the water and he climbs over the boat. He does something no one in this room has ever done for just a little bit. He walks on water. 
I mean, in the midst of chaos and the storm and the waves and all of those things, he is literally a person just like us walking on water. And yet it was when he saw the waves around him and he felt the wind and he, he experienced the circumstances. And, and as the old preachers always say, he got his eyes off of Jesus. What happened was he began to sink. Peace did not run the show in that moment when he put his, circum, his eyes on his circumstances rather than on Christ. And what Isaiah is saying here is that God will keep us in perfect peace, no matter the circumstances. Why? Because we trust in him. He is our everlasting rock. We trust that he's always with us as believers. We trust that he's going to work all things out for good. We trust that he's for us, not against us. We trust that he's the God for us in the midst of our circumstances, that he's always promised that he is in the midst of all of these Bible stories with all these Bible characters. He's that same God for us as well. And so for us as believers, in the midst of our circumstances, he brings peace as we trust and follow him. John 16, 33, Jesus makes this comment again to his disciples. He's preparing them for the day when he won't walk with them. And he makes a comment in John chapter 16, verse 33. He says, these things I've spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. It's like, just get ready for it. But take courage because I have overcome the world. Paul would write again to the believers in Rome, Romans chapter 8. He speaks yet again about this whole concept. Of peace and how it comes to us. Romans chapter 8, verse 6. He says, For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. There's this picture that it says, We trust him, as we worship him, as we fix our focus on him, as we follow him, that we have peace. Ask yourself, 1 to 10, Am I lacking peace? If you're not 9 or 10, somewhere down the road, you sure wish the number was higher. Ask yourself first, Hey, do I have a relationship with God? Okay, yes, I remember the day I gave my life to Christ. Check. Then ask yourself second, Well, if I don't have this peace that He promises to me, am I trusting Him with the details of my life, or have I taken my eyes off of Him, and am I trusting my circumstances to the point to where if my circumstances would just get better, if I just had that, that next job, if I just had a little more money, if I could just get out of this pit, right? If my circumstances will change, then I'll have peace. If that's what you're trusting in, listen, peace is going to be like that stray dog that you can't catch. It's going to continue to be elusive. But it's when we trust him, keep our eyes on him, follow him. Listen, there are going to be days when peace is shaken. But overall, by and large, we're going to have that sense of contentment and well-being and rightness. It's not dependent on our circumstances. It's dependent on the God of peace in control inside of us. So we've talked about that vertical peace. We've talked about that peace on the inside. Let's just close looking at that peace between us and other people. Here's what I'd be willing to say. This service plus 9 o'clock, a group this size, there are probably examples, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but there's probably some examples where there is strain in relationship. Maybe between you and a family member, you and a coworker, you and a former friend. Maybe even it's significant to the point to where you haven't had conversation with that person for a long time because peace just cannot be found. And I'd be willing to say probably for you, if you are normal, you've probably lost a little sleep over that. You've probably worried over that. And you've probably felt a little bit of guilt over that. So what do we do 
when we have strife between us and another person. We check the box. We know Jesus. We have a relationship with him. We check that second box. Hey, best we know, we're trusting him. Our lives are yielded. We're walking with him. But what do we do when we have that experience where horizontally between us and somebody else, it seems like peace can't be experienced? Well, Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, one simple little verse that I think speaks volumes in that circumstance. Romans chapter 12, verse 18. Take a look at what he says. He says to the Roman Christians, he says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. If possible. It's like Paul is saying, listen, the only reason I'm writing if possible is because in re- just realistically, it's like Paul is saying, I understand there are going to be instances where peace with another person is not possible. But if possible. And then he puts this phrase in there that pulls us into the mix. He says, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Peace is reflective of who God is. He's the God of peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. The Holy Spirit produces the fruit of peace. When we are at peace with others, it's a reflection of who God is. It's a testament. That's why it's so horrible when churches can't get along with one another within their own midst. It's why it's so detrimental to their testimony because the world says, how can you tell me about a God who's going to give me peace when you can't even get along yourselves? I mean, we should have peace. But there are those instances when as hard as you try, peace just cannot be had with another person. What do we do in that instance? There are two qualities that if you find them in any relationship are going to raise the experience of peace exponentially if those two qualities are present. Whether it's marriage, whether it's friendship, whether it's inside the context of a church family. If you have the quality of humility and grace that are extended by both people in the relationship, the odds of having peace rise exponentially. And here's what I mean by that. Let's just talk about, let's just say friendship. If you have a person, let's just say someone says something they shouldn't have said, does something they shouldn't have done, uh, they hurt the other person. And let's just say that um, they're unwilling to, to admit it. You're going to have a lack of peace. You're going to have disunity. You're going to have anger, bitterness, maybe even hatred, and that relationship may even come to an end. But if you have that one person who is in the wrong, who's willing to express humility and say, you know what, I blew it. And I shouldn't have said what I said. I shouldn't have done what I did. I shouldn't have hurt you the way I hurt you. And I humbly ask you to forgive me. Half of the opportunity to have peace has just been applied. On the other side of the relationship, if you've got a person who's willing to say, you know what, you're exactly right, you did blow it. (laughs) And you shouldn't have said it, and you shouldn't have done it, and you shouldn't have hurt me. But in response to your humility... And really, actually, it's not even a response. We should do this anyway. I'm going to extend grace, and I forgive you. The odds of that relationship moving forward in peace are through the roof. When you've got humility on one side and grace on the other. I'm telling you, whether it's marriage, whether it's friendship, whether it's family, When you've got humility, willing to say, I blew it, will you forgive me? And you've got grace, willing to say, yes, you did, but I forgive you. 
and I may hurt you down the road, so I'm not going to hold it against you. Let's move forward. That's the recipe for peace. But there are times when you'll step forward and you'll say to that person that you hurt, you know what, I shouldn't have said it, shouldn't have done it, shouldn't have hurt you, will you forgive me? And they're going to have no part of it. They're not going to have it. And your relationship is going to suffer as a result of it. But you can't control what they do and you can't control their response. But I think what Paul is saying here in this passage, let's bring it back up again if we can. He says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. Where forgiveness is necessary, extend forgiveness. Where owning your part of the mess is necessary, own your part of the mess, take on some humility and admit it. As far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. But I believe even the Bible reflects here that sometimes that's not going to be possible. What do we do there? We do everything we can to have peace between us and other people around us. And if it can't be had, we lay our heads down at night with peace on the inside, knowing we've done everything we can, and we trust the rest of the Lord. That's all we can do. And in the moments when that cuts deep because that lack of peace is between you and a loved one or you and a close friend or you and someone who, who, uh, who means the world to you, it's going to hurt. But you don't have to carry the baggage and you don't have to carry the guilt and the shame because you've made it right and you trust God with the results, which brings peace to you on the inside. Paul says to the Thessalonian believers, he tells them that it's the Lord who will give them peace. In the midst of their persecution, the midst of their confusion, what does he say? He says it's the God of peace who himself continually will give them peace. That's what the world longs for. And it comes as we know God through Jesus. It comes when we trust him and follow him. And when we reflect him to those around us. Hey, one to ten, where's your peace today? If it's not where you need it to be, you're kind of tired of something different. If you know you've given your life to Christ, hey, trust him in the midst of your circumstances. If something sideways with another person, be the mature one, step up, and look to make it right. And moving forward, trust him with the details. And Philippians says that in the midst of our request, if we bring him to him, it's his peace that will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ. Let's pray. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Asking yourself, as you already have, have I given my life to Christ? Listen, if you've never done that, coming to church isn't going to give you a relationship with God. Trying to join a church, getting baptized, trying to clean up parts of our lives, just trying harder, doing better. None of those things are going to give us a relationship with God. The only thing that does <laughs> is really a much better deal is when we quit trying to be saved and we just respond to what God offers and let him save us. And what that looks like is when we turn from our sin that separates us and has already probably created havoc already, is when we turn from that sin and we invite Jesus to come in to take control and to forgive and to save. And you can invite him right now if you've never done it. And he'll meet you right where you are and he'll save you. But for you as a believer, maybe there are some steps to take to apply what Paul talks about here in 2 Thessalonians 3.16. Maybe for you, you need to extend forgiveness to another person. Maybe you need to ask forgiveness from someone else. Maybe for you, you need to just take a moment to pray right now and ask God, Lord, would you get my eyes off the circumstances and help me just to trust you because you are the God of peace. Lord, we thank you that when we come to you for the peace that our hearts long for, Lord, thank you that you're the one who, who possesses it and you're the one who can give it. And so, Lord, help us to know that kind of peace. And for us as a church, Lord, help us to be about our relationships in such a right way. God, that when people see us from the outside, they want what they see here. 
And so, Lord, thank you for meeting us. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for walking with us through this life. Thank you for what comes next. And until then, thank you that you offer the peace that only you can give no matter what happens around us. We praise you for that. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.